Wow. I, I heard Wagi's voice there, the, the singing. He's a good singer, right? <laughs> Does everyone have notes today? Um, and then I need to find out where my, there's my clicker. So um, I have some pictures to show with you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you some stories, and then we're going to look at some of the Bible verses. So the first, let's see here if it works. Here we go. No, that's, let's see here. Uh, oh, it could be. That's okay. I, I do have some pictures here I can show if it's the one from last week. The ones that I had. Uh, well, let's see here that at the end of this, this is last week's ones. Um, and the, some of the ones I wanted to share this week, they're included in that. So then, but it looks like this is all last week's um, uh, pictures, but that's okay. Uh, okay, sure, sure, sure. Um, the, some of the pictures I want to show you this week are pictures of Bethany and I when we went to India and we spent 10 years in India. And I was going to show you a little bit of stories of what God's done in our mission. So now there, that's the one. That's the one. Yeah. All right. Because I, I sent Scott two different PowerPoints and it's easy to get him confused. The two are almost the same, you know. So yeah, there we go. So India. So we're starting with India. Okay. So. When I was a young man, I was in this church, and God raised me up in this church, and then God called me to go to India. God told me, go to a place where people still don't know about the name of Jesus. Go to the place where uh, people are dying, they're going to hell, people are suffering in poverty, and people are not having the Bible. So we went to this place, and we went to a place called Orissa, and then we also went to a place called Bombay which is now called Mumbai. So there's two places in, in India that we went to to start churches. And, uh, and this is the pastor that we work with. His name is Ganesh. So Pastor Ganesh and his wife Sindhu and their daughter Shekinah and the daughter Angel. So this is the family that we worked with. And, and, uh, and so Ganesh is from the untouchable caste of India, which means when you're born in India, if you're born rich, you're in the high caste. It's because you deserve it because you did something good in your former reincarnation. And if you're born poor, you deserve to be poor because you did something bad in your former reincarnation. This is all a bunch of uh, hor horrible uh, teachings they have. So the Hindu, yeah, the Hindu culture. So Ganesh was born in that untouchable low, low caste. And then he got set free by Jesus Christ. And so Ganesh became a a great lover of Jesus and a lover of people to bring people to Jesus. And so when I met him, he was bringing many people to Jesus, but he didn't know how to start a church and to keep people. Once, once people came to Jesus, how to give them discipleship, how to start a church, how to maintain your fruit. So we coached him how to be a pastor. And we, we went with him into the slums and we would walk into the slums where people live. And we would say, Let's have a church right there in the middle of the slum. And instead of asking the people in the slums, come over here to church, we said, let's have the church in the slum. And I want to show you a picture of what that looks like. There it is. So that's one of our churches that we started. So now this is an example of how um, this is actually someone's home. So we're using their home as a church. And their home is one room. 
uh, about uh, less than half the size of this room. And it's, it's like a garage, like you open up your garage door and then you live, they just, they sleep on the floor. There's no furniture. It's just a mat on the floor, a little cooking vessel in the corner. And they have to go down the street and use a public toilet. And there's, there's a public toilet for like, you know, ten, there's 10,000 people in the slum and there'll be like two or three toilets. So, and there's, yeah, just run, uh, sewage water running in the, in the alleys. And, but the, the deal is, is that when you go to this part of India, there's no privacy and there's people are out walking around. Nobody has a car. Nobody has, people have jobs where they're walking to work. But this is the, the lane in between the houses. Uh, hundreds of people are walking by the lane. And we, so this is the, at the end of the church service. So we, we were having church like a normal week. And these are the, the regular church members who are sitting in the church, right? But the people outside are the people who, were, who just were walking by and they, they were curious. And they said, what are the, they're singing and they're teaching. What are they talking about? And, let, and they stopped and they listened about Jesus Christ. So Ganesh is asking people to pray. Now, this is not, this is not the time of the invitation. When we give an invitation to accept Jesus, we try to make sure that it's not too emotional, that they become serious and say, um, you know, a lot of them want to hear about Jesus, but they don't want to give up their other gods. And so this right here is just a prayer that God would uh, give us strength and give us blessing. So everyone wanted the prayer. So this is not necessarily a salvation prayer that they're praying. We keep the salvation prayer separate where that we invite them to come inside and explain to them. Uh, what they're really getting into, you know, that it's not just an emotional decision. But you can see how responsive they are. These are just curious people out in the back just listening to us have church. So wouldn't that be amazing if we just had church like in the public, you know, where people are just listening in? And that, that doesn't happen in America very much because people live very uh, sequestered lives in America where you're separate from each other. And that's, that's why my wife and I, Bethany, love to go to India because you just are in the midst of millions and millions of people everywhere you go. And there's over a billion people. And uh, so we hit the slums and we start the church there. And then some of the people we meet, they're, they're always from a village where they're never from the slum. They're always from a village far, far away. And in the village, there's no hospitals, there's no schools, there's no infrastructure. So they always leave their village and come back, uh, come to the city to look for jobs and to look for a future. But, but when they become a Christian, we say to them, let's go back to your village and let's start a church in your village. And we train them to go back where they're from. And that's how we met this man. So this is Pastor Pradeep. So Ganesh and Pradeep are both, they're actually both missionaries of your church that your church supports these two Indian pastors after I trained them. So, so Pradeep was my first disciple that I met in India. I, did, I gave him discipleship, and then he, he's from a certain village area, so he was not from the big city, so we sent him to the village of, in Orissa, and he started a church, and that church became other churches, and he has, when, when he started his church in the village, a lot of other churches came to him that had pastors who'd never been trained, so what happened was there were other churches out there in the village who didn't know the Bible, but they were pastors who didn't know the Bible. And so we set up a Bible training center in, the, in that village, and we said, come live in the church, sleep, on the, sleep in the church, and we'll train you all day long. And so 
So these village pastors used to come with Pradeep and I used to go there and Bethany would go there and teach the women. And we would teach from nine o'clock in the morning until about five o'clock at night, like all day long, Bible, 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 you know, just teaching the Bible. And then when we would finish every single evening, they would say, hey, there's a village about 30 minutes that way that never heard the gospel. Let's go. And so we'd finish our class and we'd get in on like motorbikes or rent a little rickshaw taxi. And we'd go to a village and we'd, it's so easy to go to a village and then gather, like you show up at a village and the whole village comes out and it's like, who are you? You know? Right. And so the village comes out and we're like, Hey, we have a message for you. And we preached, we'd preach the gospel every single night. We'd preach the gospel in a different village. So what is a, a village in India is like a subdivision in America, right? Like we in America, uh, you know, you could go out to Lee Summit, like where the best live and you guys have a village out there, you know, like wait, what's the name of your subdivision out there? It's like Raytown or Raytown, right? Raytown Village or, you know, there's certain villages within Raytown, you know, subdivisions or usually according to the name of the elementary school or whatever, you know, so so that's how India thinks. It's like if you live in a subdivision in a neighborhood, it's a village, but they're always separated by, they're not so connected as we are here with the bad roads and all. So it's like, like what, what if we went to, to the Raytown, you know, the, the, east, the eastern side of Raytown where the best live? T Timber Valley? Okay, so, so what if we went to Timber Valley and we just simply showed up and then suddenly everybody came out of their houses, right? And they said, who are you all, you know, well, we've come to give you, a, we're, we're from Midtown, you know, and, and we're going to come reach you lost Raytown people. And, and, uh, and all the, all the Raytown people come out of their house because that's the way life is because in India, you come out of your house <laughs> in America. What do you do? You stay in your house, you know, like if somebody in the neighborhood, Oh, lock the doors, you know? Right. So, which by the way, did you know that, uh, there's 20 million people living in Bombay city where we lived in, in the city. Right. And Bethany and I used to go out every night in the city doing slum evangelism and Bible studies in the slums. We go to house to house, house to house. They give us chai tea all night long, different food that sometimes we had to say no to the food because it wasn't clean, but, but we would eat some of the food. But the point I'm trying to make is we would be out until 11 o'clock at night, almost every evening. We Monday night was our date night, so we never did ministry on Monday night, you know. So then every night we're out in the slum homes, and we get finished at 11 o'clock, and then we would walk out of the slum and then try to catch a taxi. At 11 o'clock at night, uh, it's a city that never sleeps, right? And people are still out walking around, getting in taxis, finishing up there, whatever they're doing. And we never felt danger. Did, did you ever feel like that? Like, we we would just simply walk through life and hundreds of people around. Now, one reason was there's no guns. <laughs> I recommend that, you know, <laughs> I mean, I lived in India for 10 years and I got used to walking around at midnight with no danger because I know that nobody has a gun, <laughs> right? It's a good deal. So, uh, and there's very little drugs also. So uh, drugs off, obviously drugs and guns are the ones that, cause all kinds of chaos in the in the world right but they don't have enough money to get drugs they just sniff glue or something you know so so here they are in the villages starting churches in the villages and then we're in the city with the slums and pastor Pradeep and Ganesh they've been here and they've been with your church in 
previous times. And Pastor Chris has been in, and taught here also. Pa Pastor Chris and many people from this church have taught in this Bible training for the leaders. And this is what they have. So these are the village pastors and some of the Bible students. And this is like LFBI India, right? But th they're holding 16 different lessons that they've translated into the Arisa language. And of course, now here in Kansas City, we have 18 lessons now, right? But it used to be 16, the original, you know? So, so the same discipleship lessons that you all have, they, they have it too, you know? And they have the same thing in, in the city also, the Hindi language in the city and the Arisa language in the village. So they've translated it and are teaching it. So now I go from stories. I'm telling stories about what Bethany and I have seen. Of course, we've met each other on the mission field. It's like romantic to go back to India. Looks like, Lord willing, we're, we're making it back to India after mission focus. And, uh, and we met each other on the mission field. But see, before Bethany became a missionary and before I became a missionary, we were both just young people in churches like this being raised up. And I thought there were certain stories that we heard, like missionary stories that inspired us to, and showed us what missionary work is all about. And I'm going to tell you two different stories of missionaries who saw transformation. And the transformation, meaning people's lives were so changed that enemies became friends, right? And when I tell you these stories, this is going to inspire you of a real life story that is, it's like proof that Jesus is the only way and every other religion, every other philosophy could never produce what we see Jesus producing. When we go to India, we go to other places, we see Jesus totally changing people and Muhammad and Buddha and the Hindus could never produce those things. So the first story, this is like inspiring me to become a missionary is the story of this man, Jacob DeShazer. Now, Jacob DeShazer was a man who lived during World War II right? And that's, that's my grandfather's generation. My grandfather fought in World War II. Did you guys have family that fought in World War II, right? My grandfather was over there. And that's what he, so there he is, a picture of him in his, in his uniform, right? So Jacob DeShazer, he hated the Japanese. He wanted to go fight the Japanese after Pearl Harbor. Do you remember Pearl Harbor? And it says, uh, December 7th, 1941, a date that will live in infamy, right? And so Japan attacked us. Japan, with their airplanes, hit our naval ships in Pearl Harbor. And uh, there's a book about Jacob DeShazer. This is a book and a video. You can look this up on YouTube, uh, From Vengeance to Forgiveness, the Jacob DeShazer story, right? So Jacob DeShazer got so angry at the Japanese that he became a do-little raider with the airplanes. They were the first ones to attack Tokyo to pay back revenge against the Japs, right? So they got on their airplanes and they knew they did not have enough fuel in the airplane to have a return trip back to the, the ship. So they knew that they had to crash land. So they, they dropped their bombs on Tokyo to pay back the Japanese. And then he jumped out, had a parachute, right? And he jumped out of the airplane and he was hoping that he would land in his parachute in a safe place where the Japanese would not catch him. And he, the Japanese did catch him, you know? He jumped out of his airplane. The, the Japanese surrounded him with the guns. They said, why did you drop bombs on Tokyo? 
He said, because you dropped bombs on us first, right? Why did you drop bombs in Pearl Harbor? And so, so for four years, he's a POW. He's living in a, a prison camp being beaten by the Japanese. And in the, in the prison camp, someone gives him a Bible. And he had always rejected, as a young man, he said he had rejected Christ. He didn't want religion. As a young boy, an American boy, he did not want Jesus. So as a, as a POW, now he falls in love with Jesus. He reads the Bible and he says, why did I reject this? He sees Jesus' love. Let's see here. There we go. Uh, um, there he is, a picture of him again. Let's see. Make sure I get back. Um, I guess the, the, uh, the back, I'm getting the small button. Yeah, sorry about this. Um, maybe you could help me. Can you go back? Can you go back to the Jacob DeShazer original photo? Yeah, that one right there. Okay, here we go. So, um, so Jacob DeShazer accepts Jesus. Now, Jacob hears this word. When he's in the jail, Jacob hears Jesus say, I forgive your sins. Now you forgive the Japanese, right? So at first, Jacob says no, because he hates the Japanese. So he says, I'll forgive the Chinese. I'll forgive the Africans, I'll, but not the Japanese, you know. So, so then uh, Jacob says, I don't feel my emotions will forgive them, but by faith, I'll forgive them. You ever tried that? With, whether it's forgiveness or it's a obedience to God, something you know that you have to do and you don't feel like it. <laughs> and so you say, I will do it even though I don't feel like it. And so after he forgave the Japanese by faith, the next morning he wakes up and he starts feeling love for the Japanese. Like the feelings come and he has concern for, the, for Japanese people who Jesus died for, their lost souls that he'd be concerned for them, that going to hell, they should be saved. So he starts talking to the Japanese guards. And if you get this book, you'll, you'll hear his own words. Like you can look up this book from vengeance to forgiveness. It's a book on Amazon or a video on YouTube. And so Jacob starts making a friendship with the, the Japanese who are beating him. And he starts a prayer meeting. And the Japanese are so shocked how changed he is they start coming to Christ right there in the jail. He starts a church in the jail, right? Yeah, it's actually, this is actually Acts chapter 537. I'm telling the book of Acts today, but Acts 29, chapter 30. So, so the book of Acts is continuing because here you have Japanese coming to Christ because of a prisoner of war. And after the, the war is over, he gets set free. He goes back to America. And Jacob DeShazer goes to Bible college. He goes to LFBI, right, which was in Seattle at the time in, in the 40s. And so he goes to a Seattle Bible college. And after he gets finished with Bible college, he gets married. He finds a wife. And he tells his wife, we're going back to Japan, right? So they spend the next 30 years of their life living in Japan, sharing Jesus, loving the Japanese. People say you're crazy. Those Japanese uh, hurt you. Why are you going back to them? He says, because Jesus died for the Japanese. I, I love the Japanese. And so many people would come to hear him say, hey, here, here's the former prisoner who forgives the Japanese. And they would come and get saved. And so at the end of the story, let's go to the next picture. There, there we, he meets this man right here. 
So this is a Japanese man named Mitsuo Fuchida. And Mitsuo Fuchida comes to Jacob and says, you forgive the Japanese, but do you forgive me personally? Do you forgive me? And Jacob says, sure, I forgive you. And Mitsuo Fuchida says, you don't know what I did. And let's look at the next picture. So it says, from Pearl Harbor to Calvary. This is Mitsuo Fuchida's book. So Mitsuo Fuchida says, I was the lead pilot on Pearl Harbor. Right? So take yourself back to Pearl Harbor, right? So Mitsuo Fuchida, it was his leadership, and he was the head pilot saying, let's go attack the Americans. Let's kill Pearl Harbor, all the soldiers. So would Jesus forgive that? Right? In other words, this man started World War II. Think of all the repercussions that came because of his evil decision, people who died even after Pearl Harbor. It's his fault. But would Jesus forgive him? Right? Jesus does forgive him because he receives a Bible. He gets a Japanese Bible. He accepts Jesus. He totally changes. He totally transforms. And he starts preaching like Billy Graham. He's the Billy Graham of Japan. He's in heaven now. But he became an evangelist with Jacob, and they would preach all over Japan, turn to Jesus. We Japanese were foolish. Let's turn to Jesus. So God transformed the, the, the terrorist of Japan, right? And see, only Jesus could produce that. Have you ever heard of another religion producing that kind of a change in a person? And how Jacob and Mitsuo become best friends who used to be enemies. Have you ever heard of enemies becoming friends in a different religion besides Jesus Christ? It doesn't happen. If you're in the Muslim religion or the Buddhist or the Hindus, or if you're believing in evolution, you would never, do, you would never experience that kind of a thing. So, yeah, exactly. Paul, Paul was an enemy and he became uh, reconciled, right? Paul was a killer. God forgave him. So let's go to the next picture. Uh, there they are together again. And then the next picture. Okay, so this next story before I get into the Bible is a girl named Kim. And she's a Vietnamese girl. We actually were in Vietnam doing ministry with Andrew Ong and heard this story. And so this is a girl that when she's nine years old, she gets hit by an accidental firebomb. It's called a napalm bomb, right? And everyone thought that she died, but they were Christians. There was a Christian hospital in Vietnam who preserved her life and gave her skin grafts. And let's go to the next picture. That's where she looked like. And yeah, you see how the skin was, well, let's go to the next one. The skin was burned off of her arm there. Um, next picture. Uh, this is what she looks like now. So, so she survived and her arm and her back are all burnt up, right? But this is what happened to her, is that she hears, she, she was raised in Buddhism and had no knowledge of Jesus. But after this accident happened to her, she meets Christians in Vietnam and she becomes a Christian and she gets saved. She gets totally transformed. She gets the peace of God. She gets love for her enemies because she talks about at first, she's very angry. Like what God, why did this happen to me? I hate the Americans who made this mistake. It was actually an American mistake that that bomb hit her. It was actually uh, ended up being like a friendly fire type of thing, like a mistake. And so she hated them, but then she receives Jesus and she forgives them, right? She gets peace with God. And, and you can see today, what is she? She's standing behind a pulpit and she is a woman preacher, praise God. 
She's an evangelist. She's not a pastor, but she's an evangelist because she preaches Jesus today. And, and she, when she was living in Vietnam, she preached to all the communist leaders because she was famous and people would gather to hear her talk because she was a famous girl. She escaped. She got out of Vietnam in the 1980s and she went to Canada. <laughs> so she's in Toronto today and she's preaching the gospel of Jesus to everybody. And the, the climax of the story, and this is before I get into the scriptures, it applies to the Bible we're going to look at today, is that at uh, this woman's chance to preach about Jesus, her name is Kim, she was invited to speak on Veterans Day at the Vietnam Memorial. Now, how many of you have ever seen either in a picture uh, in Washington, D.C., they have a Vietnam War Memorial, right? It's right next to the Lincoln Memorial. Anybody been out there? So you see that wall, right? And then all the 58,000 men who died in Vietnam. So she was the special speaker on one of the Veterans Days. So she's standing before all the old vets. And they thought that she had died. They remember her because everyone remembers her picture. Because that picture went all the New York Times and the Washington Post. And so they look at her and they say, she's alive. I thought she was dead. Right. They're so shocked. And so Kim speaks to all the veterans and says, Jesus uh, forgave me and Jesus forgives you. Like she, she's saying the gospel, like don't be overwhelmed with guilt over what happened that was wrong. Uh, let's forgive. Let's be reconciled. So she preaches the gospel and many American vets get saved that day. Many American vets hear about Jesus that they, they'd never understood before. And, and so the climax of the story is, after she finishes speaking, an old American vet comes up to her. His name is John Plummer. And so John Plummer walks up to her and says, you said you forgive us, but do you forgive me? You don't know what I've done. I was the American vet. I was on the radio and I thought the enemy was over there. And I called down a napalm bomb and it, it by mistake, we hit you. So he said, I was the one that called the napalm and it hit you. Do you forgive me? And of course, they're crying and they're saying, yeah, Jesus died for both of us. And so, uh, not the next picture yet, but uh, um, so John Plummer says to her, he says, when I got out of the Vietnam War and I went back home to America and I became so overwhelmed with my guilt of the, the, the wrong things that I did in the Vietnam War, he said, I became a drunkard and I began to drink heavily and I got married, he said, my first wife left me. And then I got a second wife and I was still a drunkard. He said, my second wife left me. And he said, I got my third wife and she was a crazy Christian. And my, he said, my third wife led me to Jesus and I'm saved, you know. But even though I'm saved, I want to ask you, are you, will you forgive me, you know. And of course, the two of them start preaching, to get, they start traveling together. And they say, hey, let's go travel together and let's preach Jesus Christ and see how enemies can become friends, right? And this is their picture. The next picture is them together. Uh, that, that's her with her baby. Kim preaching again. Did I show them? There we go. There we go. So that's John Plummer and then Kim, the, the two enemies who become friends, right? And so now only Jesus Christ can explain this because this should not happen. 
Like these people should be angry. These people should never talk to each other for the rest of their lives, you know? And did you know that Jesus can take people that you don't want to talk to and then reconcile you back together, right? And you can forgive people. You can experience that. And that's the scripture that I'm going to share with you today. Let's see. Did I put the scriptures next? Yeah, here we go. There's a story in Matthew chapter 21. So I want you to open up your Bibles and read this story. Okay. So let's look at Matthew 21. And verse 28. All right. So this is a little story that Jesus is telling. In Matthew 21 and verse 28. So Jesus says, what do you think? What think ye? A certain man had two sons. And he came to the first and said, son, go work today in my vineyard. And he answered and said, I will not. But afterward, he repented and he went. And he came to the second and said, likewise. And he said, he answered and said, I go, sir. But he went not. Whether these two, these twain did the will of his father, they said unto him the first. Jesus said, go, uh, verily I say to you, the publicans and the, and the harlots shall go into the kingdom of God before you. So stop there. So the father has two sons, and he says, go work in my field. The first son says to his father, I will not. Now, that's amazing that a kid would say no to his father to his face. Normally, a child would ne- never say no to his father to his face. Now, in America, they do it, but in Asia, they never do it, right? Like, this is an Asian story. So everyone who listened to Jesus tell this story was very shocked because they said, no, 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 he would never say no to his father. Yeah, he did. He said, I will not. But then after he said, no, father, he walked away. And that boy thought, well, I'll change my mind and then I'll do it. And he did it. But the other boy is a typical boy who says, Yes, sir. Yes, sir, Father. But he didn't. He went out and he did not do it. So, so Jesus is saying this as a picture of us. Every single one of us are the son who said no. None of you said yes. <laughs> if you think you said yes, you're lying to yourself, right? We're all sinners and we all said no to God. But after we said no to God, we thought about it and then we changed our minds. So the question I have is, what changed the mind of this young boy? Why did he change his mind? I think it's because he thought about his father. His father is so kind. His father is so loving. His father is so gracious. I put it here. What did he think about that motivated him to change? Love, grace, kindness of his father, knowing that his father would forgive him and give him another chance. Did you know that God is always ready to give you another chance? Isn't that good? Did you know that myself, right now, uh, I'm on chance number 1,500,602. Like, I've, I've, God's given me so many chances, you know? Like, I've blown it so many times, right? And God keeps on giving me another chance. And you have to believe that about God. For you to do anything in God, you have to believe that God's going to give you another chance, even if you make a mistake. But Which, by the way, some of you have children. Now, how many of you have children here today, right? Did you know that some of you have children who are always no children and some of you have yes children, <laughs> right? 
Did you know your no children always turn out the best? <laughs> you know, I always hear that. I always hear like mothers say, you know, that that was my problem child. But then they grew up and they learned grace, right? Because when you say no to God, you find out God has grace for you. But when you're always saying, yes, 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 like that you're trying to show your face that, oh, I'm a good boy, right? But you know in your heart you're not really a good boy, right? And usually the people who will always say yes, they're only saying it just to show themselves, oh, I'm good. But we're all sinners, and we've all said no. And so, and then after we say no, then God forgives us and says, I'll give you another chance. And he, and he goes out and he works in his father's field. And that's my story. I, I always tell people, they say, oh, Doug Pearson, you're a missionary. How did God call you to be a missionary in India? Well, I said, no, <laughs> like God called me and I said, no. And then after God called me, he had to train me in the Bible. And I actually, I went through, we had a shepherd school. It was LFBI. It was called shepherd school. And I went through shepherd school for two years and then I quit and I dropped out. You know, I'm a dropout. Just like uh, John Mark in the Bible, he, John Mark quit the Apostle Paul's missionary team. And the Apostle Paul says, I'm not going to have anything to do with him anymore. That was me, right? And then God says, I'm going to use Mark to write the Bible. <laughs> so, so I was a quitter, but God gave me another chance, you know? And I got back in. I got back into the training again. And so the point is, God always has grace for those who fail. God has grace for those who say no. And the proof is in these next verses, if I can get you to go to the next verse. Um, Romans chapter 11, it says, if it's by grace, then it's no longer by works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. If it's works, it's no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. So that's one of your key verses you want to memorize saying, I live my life not by works, but I live by grace. Because the minute I start living my life by works, I'm not experiencing grace, right? And this is how the Catholics live all their life, right? A Catholic wakes up in the morning thinking, I've got to work to prove myself that I'm going to be a good Christian, a good Catholic, you know? And they don't know what grace is because they think grace can be merit. The Catholics talk about you have to merit, you know? No, grace is unmerited, which means you don't deserve it, right? So we wake up and say, Lord, I'm nothing. I can do nothing. Give me grace. Pour out your grace to me. Like even when we go through discipleship, like um, in, the, in the cost of discipleship class, we learn that, hey, we cannot be a disciple unless God fills it with, but to be full of Holy Spirit of grace. Like we say, God, fill me with your, your grace, fill me with your Holy Spirit, and then I can be a disciple, right? I can't do, I have no strength to do it because the, the next uh, slide I have here, Scott, is it's saying the world says do and get. You do this and you get this, but God says get and do. So let's just think about this concept, right? When you grow up in school, your school rightly says to you, if you do this, you're going to get this. If you do your homework and you do your assignments and you do your behavior, you're going to pass the class and you're going to graduate. So do this and you'll get this. And that's, that's how life should work, right? But God is different. When you come to God, God says, don't do anything. I'm going to give you everything. <laughs> God says, I'm going to die for you on the cross. You don't do nothing. You're a sinner. I'm going to justify you when you're ungodly, Romans chapter 4. And God says, get, 
get my grace, get forgiveness, get loved. Like say, God, I can't do it, but you love me. I can't perform this Christian life, but I believe that you love me. I believe that you died for me. I receive you, Jesus. I receive you as a free gift. After you get that grace, then you can do, right? Get, get, and then you do instead of do, and then you get, right? So after you get grace, then you can do, you have the strength to do what you need to do. So a lot of us, we feel, I don't have the strength to live the Christian life. Well, confess that to God and say, God, I can't do it, but I believe that you can do it in me. So you come fill me and give me your grace as a gift. Now I can do it, right? Because I got it for free. So God's grace says, you know, forgive the same thing I just said, get it freely, and then you'll have the strength to do what she should be doing. Let's look at the next slide. Okay, people think they have to do something to get grace. Rather, you have to get grace so that you can do something. It's just a good quote. That's from Pastor Shabelli. <laughs> All right. We come to God with nothing, and he gives us everything. Without, God, without God's grace, what you are doing is nothing. <laughs> so a lot of people are doing and doing and doing, but it's not by grace. It's by their own religious performance. They're, I'm doing so many things. And God says, you're not doing anything. <laughs> like it has to be me through you, not you trying to do it. All right. Uh, next, next slide. The grace of God does not demand a change. Grace produces a change. So think about this. Uh, God comes to you and God wants you to change. Everyone needs to change. We all have problems and hangups and we have bad attitudes. We have bad habits. And God says, change. But God does not demand the change. God says, I love you. And then you receive that love and that love produces the change. <laughs> God never demands it. He produces it in you because after you receive love and receive grace, you, you want to change, you know, instead of growing up in church and saying, oh, I have to go to church. Now you want to go to church because God gave you love and now you've changed and God did not demand it of you. He produced it inside of you. So that's a good principle of life to live on. Don't demand, but produce through love. Next uh, slide. So here's the scripture to prove it. It says, we love him because he first loved us. And then here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and gave his son to be a propitiation for our sins. So love is not that we love God, right? So I'm going to give you the order of love today. So love is uh, not that you are able to love God and be this amazing Christian, but rather is God loving you even when you could not love God. Next, next slide. So number one, just let God love you as you are. Then you can love yourself, which means value yourself. Know that God has value on you, the cost of his son on the cross, that loving yourself does not mean to worship yourself. It means appreciating your value, that Jesus thought I was worth it to die for me, that you're worth it. You're worthy of his death. He says, I'm going to die for them. They're a sinner. They don't deserve it, but I think they're worth it because God created you in his image. That gives you worth. You're a creation of God. You have worth in his image, but the sin has broken that image. And God says, I think you're still worth dying for. 
And so when you believe that you're worth dying for, that improves your own uh, ability to love yourself and to forgive yourself because you cannot love other people until you love yourself first. A lot of people hate themselves. A lot of people are so depressed and angry and they cannot forgive themselves. I mean, despite, I tell these amazing stories of like a, a Japanese enemy and a Jacob de Chazier becoming friends. And it's, it's okay to see people forgiving each other, but the most difficult thing is to forgive yourself, right? Because you know that you've done things only you know about, and you just want to punish yourself, you know? And you may have hatred towards yourself. But if you believe that Jesus died for you, you have to believe that you can forgive yourself, that you're worth dying for, and that you're worth giving another chance and another chance and another chance. God will give you grace. And then you can start loving God back with the love that he gave you. And then you can love others with God's love for them. They are precious to God. Let them be precious to you. So it's just like that little story of like a little boy who wants to give money in the church offering, right? And so the, they, they pass the offering bucket and people are putting in the, what they used to do when I was a kid. We used to put cash in the offering. Today, it's like just click your phone and give through Venmo or whatever, right? And so, so the boy wanted to put money into the offering, but that young little boy has a problem. He has no money. So he's, he nudges his father, hey, daddy, daddy, I want to give in the offering. And the father's very happy to give, right? The father takes out his money, says, okay, you give that. And the, the little boy is like so excited. The bucket is coming. Oh, he can't wait. And boom, he gives the money. He says, mommy, 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 look what I did. I gave in the offering, right? And so the father's like beaming in joy, like, oh, my son, you know. So that's a picture of us, right? Like we want to love God. We want to serve God, but we got nothing. We can't do it. <laughs> so God says, okay, I'll give you some love. I'll give you my forgiveness. I'll give you my righteousness, my Holy Spirit for free. And now you take that and serve God. <laughs> and, and so when we serve God, it's, it's not we are doing it. God's doing it in us because it's what he gave. We can't give to God what he didn't first give to us. So we say, God, you gave me this love. Now I give it back to you because it's not mine. Like you gave it to me. I'm giving it back to you. And then we can love others because we've got the issue settled. We know that God loves us. We know that we love God with his love. And now everyone you meet is a friend, right? You, you never meet an enemy, you know? And, and each one of us can be like this. As you walk outside today and go in, into the world, uh, everyone can be your friend. You, you should have that mentality. Everyone is my potential friend. You know, they, they may not be your friend in, initially, but I, maybe I can make them my friend. If I show kindness to them and love and, the, and Jesus, maybe they'll never receive it, but I can potentially preach to them. Do I have one more slide or is that it? Okay, yeah. I'm going to finish with, this is my last slide, and then we're going to break up into small groups. And we're just going to discuss, I want us to talk today about how do we get set free to know that we have this confidence? This is like walking in a confidence of this love and this grace that's giving us the energy that, we, that God is doing it inside of us, that we can, we can do this. We can go on the offense and not live so worried on the defense. Because I know each one of us struggles on this, all right? I, I myself struggle on this. Waking up in the morning, 
and having my thoughts entirely be defensive. Like, okay, I got to protect it, make sure this doesn't happen. Oh, I, I hope that doesn't happen. Oh, I, I got to make sure and def- I got to defend this, right? Instead, when you get so much confidence that God loves you and you get the Holy Spirit inside of you, you wake up in the morning and say, let me take on the world. I'm going to go on the offense, you know? That's what the Chiefs need to do today, right? Because their defense can't do nothing, right? The, de- the Chiefs' defense is not, not very good, but their offense, if they would just go on the offense, right? So, of course, this is a spiritual war that we're in. And it's saying, hey, the devil has taken a lot of territory in Kansas City, right? The devil has taken over the world. But guess what? We're on the offense against the devil. We're, we're not, oh, I hope the devil doesn't do this. No. Forget what the devil has done. I'm going to take back what the devil has stolen, amen? And I'm going to bring it back to God. I'm going to take a soul who the devil has captive. I'm going to take him. I'm going to steal him from the devil. <laughs> you know, like they always say, like, Jesus died on the cross as a thief, right? But Jesus wasn't, yeah, Jesus was a thief. Jesus was stealing all the hearts away from the devil. Jesus was a thief, stealing souls back to God. And so with Jesus Christ, how he is power to control the world for his kingdom, we are victors with Christ. We are not victims of our circumstances. So this is another thing that we struggle with. Do we think of ourselves as a victim? Now, I want you to think about your life, about all the bad things that have happened to you and all the problems you have right now. Are you a victim of your problems? Are you a victim of the people who have treated you badly? You are, in Jesus Christ, you are not a victim. You are a victor. So wake up in the morning and say, Jesus, I am in you. You are in me. I'm going to heaven. It doesn't matter what happened to me. I'm a victor right now. I'm a, I have victory over my circumstances. Now, I might still be in the jail, but I can still be a victor in the jail. You know, Maybe God's not letting me out of the jail yet, but in the jail, I have peace. In the jail, I have victory. I'm not a victim. And we are not right-wingers, amen? And we are not left-wingers, but we are upper-wingers, amen? How many of you guys are tired of this uh, politics? (laughs) Like, oh, so-and-so says this, and -and so-and-so says that. What is the political solution? Well, the right-wingers say this, but the left-wingers say this. Well, guess what? None of you better be any right or left. You better be upper. Amen? Be an upper winger, which means there's a third narrative of grace. And grace makes these right or left come together and be friends <laughs> in Jesus Christ. And say, Jesus Christ is the solution to every problem and not politics. Okay? So, with that, we're finished. And I want us to break up in groups and talk about this. So, let's have a group of men over here. A group of cu- couples over here with Scott. And a group of the ladies over here. So if if you're a man, if you're a single guy, let's go over here on that side and have a discussion. If you're if you're girls over here on this side, we'll have discussions. All right.